And with that, welcome to another episode of the podcast from P-Town. That was Center Field by Creedence Clearwater Revival. And it happens to do with a little bit of what we're talking about tonight. We're 
I'm going to be covering the story of Hank Aaron, hoping to pay a little bit of homage to him as one of the greatest baseball players ever. And hopefully I'll do some justice to him over his career. And I'm going to warn you ahead of time, this uh, episode is going to deal with a lot of different dates that uh, took place throughout his career. So with that, let's go ahead and get started. So <clears throat> Hank Aaron was born February 5th, 1934. He was born in Mobile, Alabama, and he was born, obviously, Henry Louis Aaron. His parents were Herbert Aaron Sr. and Estella Aaron, and he was one of eight children in the family. And so one of his brothers, he was named Tommy. He also played Major League Baseball as well. And by the time Hammer and... Or I guess I should uh, preface this with uh, one of Hank's nicknames was Hammer and Hank. So by the time Hammer and Hank retired uh, from baseball, they held the record for the most career home runs by a pair of siblings at 768. And just a uh, little bit of a jump ahead, Hank scored about 755 of those home runs. So the other guy, uh, Tommy, uh, he gave it a gallant effort, I guess. So, <clears throat> Hank, he grew up very poor, but in his growing up years, he loved baseball at a very young age, but his family was four and they couldn't afford baseball equipment, so he would practice hitting bottle caps with sticks, and then he'd make his own baseball bats and balls with stuff that he found in the streets, so they didn't have enough money to afford to buy him good baseball equipment, so he would make do with what he could find. His boyhood idol was Jackie Robinson, who, uh, if you follow baseball at all, Jackie kind of broke the color barrier, I guess, as being the first man to play baseball. And when Hank was in high school, they didn't have an organized high school baseball team, so he played outfield and third base for a team called the Mobile Black Bears, and they were a semi-pro team, and he was only in high school when he did this. So Hank, he had his first tryout with a major league team in 1950, or 1949, and it was the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he was only 15 at the time. But he didn't end up making the team, and he finished out his high school career, or his high school years, playing for the team called the Pritchard Athletics, and then the Mobile Black Bears, which they were both independent Negro League teams. And while he was on the Black Bears, he would earn $3 per game, which was about $100 in today's money. But then in 1951, a scout by the name of Ed Scott signed him to a contract with the Indianapolis Clowns. And they were part of the Negro American League. He played shortstop there for about three months, and he earned around $200 a month. But by this time, he was, he was getting noticed by scouts and whatnot from uh all around and he ended up getting offers from the new york giants and the boston braves he ended up going with the braves because they offered him 50 dollars more than what the giants were willing to offer him and he later said that he could have been teammates with willie mays and it was basically 50 dollars that made the difference in that so the Braves, they bought his contract from the Clowns for $10,000. And on June 12th, 1952, he signed with the Braves. But even though he had signed with them, or with the Braves, they first sent him to a farm team called the Eau Claire Bears. But this turned out to be very beneficial for him 
because he continued to uh, develop as a baseball player, and he ended up making the Northern League's All-Star team, and he also made uh, Rookie of the Year by unanimous decision. And while he was with them in his first season, he played in 87 games. He had 89 runs, 116 hits, 9 home runs, and 61 RBIs. Unfortunately, though, he was very homesick, and he experienced constant racism while he was with them, which I personally have no tolerance for whatsoever. But then in 1953, the Braves promoted him to a Class A team called the Jacksonville Braves. And this team, they were in the South Atlantic League. And this year, the, the year that they signed him, they won the championship that year. And he led the league in runs, hits, doubles, RBIs, total bases, and batting average. Needless to say, this year he won the league's MVP award. And one of the sports commentators said that he led the league in everything except hotel accommodations. But the stupid racism crap didn't go away this year either. And he would be separated from his team because of Jim Crow laws. And a lot of times he would have to make his own arrangements for housing and meals. Which, it just blows my mind how people thought back in those days. But on the bright side of things, though, he met his future wife that year. She was named Barbara Lucas. And the night that they met, she ended up going to his game. And in this game, he singled, doubled, and hit a home run. So he almost hit for a cycle in that game which is a single, a double, and a triple, and a home run. But uh, he missed the triple on that. And uh, so, yeah, he hit a single, double, and a home run, and this was only in the baseball game. But they ended up getting married on October 6th of that year. So during the winter of 1953, he ended up playing in Puerto Rico. And the team's manager helped him become an even more effective batter and also got him playing in the outfield. And one thing about uh, Hank, when he was first uh, started playing baseball, he was a, uh, uh, a, I don't remember the exact name for it, but he batted with his uh, hands backwards, like his left hand would be on top and his right hand would be be on bottom. And the manager worked with him to get him to change his uh, hands on how he held the bat. But, uh, which helped his, um, batting out a lot. This manager also helped him, uh, to getting playing in the outfield. Originally, he was playing second base for him, and he really wasn't made, I guess, to play that position. So they got him into, uh, playing the outfield. And along with this, it also helped him to get, avoid getting drafted. The Braves, they spoke to the draft board and said that he could be the player to integrate the Southern Association the following season with the Atlanta Crackers. And this convinced the board to not draft him. So it kind of got him out of getting drafted into the Korean conflict. But in 1954, he got to attend spring training with the majors. So this was his kind of his big break. And he was on the roster for the farm team. But then in a spring training game, one of the players fractured his ankle sliding into base and they pulled in Hank and this was kind of his shot. So in his first game, he played left field and he hit a home run and this got him a major league contract. And so on April 13th, he made his major league debut, debut 
and he actually went hitless all five times at bat. But he finally hit his first major league hit two days later on April 15th, and over the next 122 games, he batted 280 with 13 homers, and then he ended up fracturing his ankle on September 5th. So the same thing that happened to the guy that got him into the majors happened to him. And this is kind of interesting. So he was when he was originally signed with the Braves, he was signed number 5. After he fractured his ankle, he changed his number to 44. And he would hit 44 home runs in four different seasons, and he hit his record-breaking 715th home run against a pitcher who was also wearing 44. So the number 44 kind of became a lucky number, I guess, for, uh, for Hank throughout his career. But the prime of his career started in 1955. I guess if you call the it starting, he was always kind of an all-star. But in 1955, he's awarded the uh, NL All-Star Award, and then he would go on to get 20 more All-Star selections throughout his career. And then in 1956, he got his first of two NL batting titles, and Sporting News named him NL Player of the Year. Then in 1957, he won his only NL MVP award, and he led the league in home runs and RBIs, also this year, he hit a two-run walk-off homer against the St. Louis Cardinals, and this clinched the pennant for the Braves that year. And this, uh, as of yet, was the only pennant-clinching walk-off home run in Major League history in a non-playoff regular season game. So if you can follow all of that, you're better man than I am. But after he touched home base, his teammates carried him off the field, and then... Uh, 1957 ended up being a big year for him. His wife also gave birth to twins this year. But unfortunately, a day after their birth, one of the twins ended up dying. But then in 1958, he led the Braves to another pennant. But they ended up losing the World Series to the Yankees that year. So they won the, uh, the division, but they ended up losing the World Series. So he finished this year. Uh, he finished third this year in the MVP race, but he got his first of three Golden Glove Awards, and it just continued on for him through the 60s. And, in fact, in 1967, he hit an inside-the-park home run, which, in Major League Baseball, that's really something. I hit on inside-the-park home runs in softball, but it's kind of unheard of in baseball. Then, in 1968, he became the first Atlanta Braves player to hit his 500th career home run. And then in 1970, he was the first Atlanta Brave to have 300 or 3,000 career hits. So, I mean, as you you can see, why this guy is one of the greatest baseball players ever. So in 1969, he passed Mickey Mantle's home run number with 537, and this ranked him third behind Willie Mays and Babe Ruth. Then at age 37, he had a or at age 37, he had a 669 slugging average. Which I believe the slugging average is based on the amount of hits that you have uh, compared to the amount of hits that are actually home runs determines your slugging average. So this was over half of his hits were ended up being home runs. And then in 1972, he surpassed Willie Mays on the home run list. And this year, uh, also, he broke Stan Musial's major league record for total bases. 
And in Hank's own words, he said that he was more proud of this than his home run record because it reflected his overall performance as a team player. So the thing with Hank Aaron, I mean, he uh, he broke a ton and ton of records, but he was more uh, encouraged by being an all-around team player than his individual achievements, which is really honorable, I think, for a professional sports player. So by 1973, though, he was closing in on Babe's record. And that summer, he was receiving so much fan mail and hate mail that the Braves ended up having to hire a secretary to help him sort through it. So there were people sending him, you know, fan mails that, you know, they really liked what he's doing. But he was also receiving the stupid crap from a bunch of ignorant racist people that uh, were sending him hate mail because they didn't want him to break uh, Babe's record. But he ended, uh, he ended up finishing the 1973 season one short of the record. So he was like at 714 by the end of the 1973 season. And he said his fear was that he might not live to see the 1974 season. And between the 1973 and 74 offseason, he was receiving a lot of death threats and hate mail, hate mail from people not wanting to break the record. And it just, uh, it just frustrates me so bad. It's so stupid. But the threats even extended to those providing press coverage uh, of him. One of the guys that was writing for one of the um, sports tab or sports uh, magazines or whatever back in the day, he was actually receiving hate mail and death threats because he was reporting on how good Hank Aaron was. And it's just, it, uh, whatever. But he was getting so much hate mail that the U.S. Postal Service actually gave him a plaque at the end of the 1973 season for receiving more mail than anyone else except for politicians. And that year he got around 930,000 pieces of mail. But Hank, he ended up uh, finally breaking the record on April 8th, 1974. They were at home against the Dodgers in front of 53,775 fans. And when he hit that home run, a couple of college students ran onto the field and jogged alongside him temporarily until they were probably tackled or something by security. And a reporter also tried to interview him between third base and home base. And his his family rushed onto the field and whatnot to congratulate him. It was really a pretty great moment in uh, national or in professional sports. But even though he broke the record, he didn't stop there. He hit his 733rd home run as a Braves player on October 2nd, 1974. And it, that was his last home run as a Braves. And at the end of that season, he was in, he was traded to the Milwaukee Brewers. He was kind of, he was reaching the end of his contract with the Braves and he, he was actually, he was kind of getting up there in age, but so he, you know, it was a good time to, it was actually kind of a good time to trade him. And then he hit his final final home run on May 1st, 1975 with the number 755. And that was quite a number. But after, so that was kind of his, the end of his career. And after playing baseball, he returned to the Braves working as an executive for the team. In 1982, he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame and he received 97.8% of the ballots which was second only to Ty Cobb. 
I think Ty Cobb uh, got like 98.3 or something like that percent of the ballots. And after or along with that, he ended up working into management of the Braves program. And he also worked with Turner Broadcasting System. He was management within them as well. Uh, as you know, the Braves used to always play at Turner Field, which was owned by Turner Broadcasting System, which also owned the Braves. So, you know, take without what you will. And then Barry Bonds finally broke Hank Aaron's record in 2007, but we kind of all know the saga about that. I guess it could be noted that even though there's consp- or there's differing theories out there about uh, Barry Bonds' record, Hank Aaron never took any performance-enhancing drugs. He never took any steroids. He did it all naturally. I'm not saying Barry Bonds did, but there's stuff out there that is what it is. So in his personal life, Hank was married to Barbara, Barbara Lucas, if you remember, in 1953. They ended up having five kids, but they got divorced in 1971. And then he married a gal by the name of Billy Suber Williams in 1973, but they only had one child. He also, he became a Roman Catholic in 1959, and he was very devout in his faith uh, throughout, from then till the rest of his uh, life. He ended up converting uh, his wife to the Roman Catholic faith. And so he was very devout in that. And then Hank, he publicly received the COVID-19 shot on January 5th, 2021. And then he died in his sleep on January 22nd, 2021 at the age of 86. And if you're like me, that seems a little bit weird that he, I mean, grasping at straws here but he received the covid shot and two weeks later he ends up dead when before that he was actually in pretty good health and so that's kind of all i have on hank aaron um it's sad to see him go he truly was one of the greatest baseball players ever if not the greatest baseball player ever i didn't go into the list of awards and nominations for awards that he won throughout his career but he was truly an amazing man and he was also outside of baseball he was amazing individual uh his you know he had to deal with racism through his career which is totally stupid and just being an all-around good guy i think And I hope that this podcast kind of did some justice to the memory of Hank Aaron because he really was, I I truly believe that he really was a truly a very good man. And so that's pretty much all I have for this episode. Like I said, like I've been saying, you can uh, follow us on podcast from P-Town on Facebook or P-Town podcast on Instagram or P-Town Podcast 74 on Gmail. Um, you know, if you have any differing feelings about this or, you know, want to add any more information to it, we can definitely cover it in some more, some other podcasts <clears throat> or some other episodes. And just as a follow-up, I did listen to another podcast today. They have gotten some updates on the Diet Law of Pass podcast that I talked about a couple weeks ago. They've kind of announced another... or kind of continued their theories on it that to kind of more substantiate the catabolic wind theory 
Uh, if you remember, we covered the Diet Love Pass a few episodes ago. And so they've talked about the catabolic wind theory kind of um, coupled with a small avalanche. I don't really agree with with what they're saying on it, but, you know, it is what it is. It is what they're saying about it. So anyhow, uh, thanks a lot for listening. We did break the 500 mark, I'm glad to say, from in the statistics. We're up to about 550. 43 or something like that now so i appreciate everybody giving us a listen and if you can go out there and give us a rating on apple itunes or apple podcasts i would really appreciate that as well it helps boost us up and gets more people listening to the show and another thing if you guys would be so kind as to share this to your own personal facebook pages so that uh it gets out to other circles and more people uh to get to listening to the podcast that'd be great as well So thanks a lot for listening, and we'll see you guys on the next one.